0: Now, I love it's called the book of Acts, not the book of Sits, right? Because there's action in there. There's something for us to do, right? There's God is at work. The Holy Spirit's at work. He's got work for us to do. It's all this. So it's a long, it's kind of a longer portion, right? It's a longer book. So we broke it up into three parts, right? The first part, we're going from chapters one to chapter nine, and we're calling it a new kingdom come. That's what the first portion of that is about. Is the new kingdom has its come. What is this new kingdom? And each week, we're taking a chapter. And we're going to do it. how we're going to do is we're going to uh, basically I'm going to summarize a chapter, what happened in there, and then we're going to focus in on some particular verses in that chapter, what does it mean? And then we're going to talk about some application. It's just a real simple exegetical, how does this, how does this uh, particular passage of the book of the Bible, how does it deal with us? So this is where we're going with it. We began in chapter one, which is the best place to begin. And we saw in there this new kingdom. It starts with a new mission right? And so as uh, disciples of Jesus, you're going to get used to this too, that you're going to be memorizing the Word of God. The people, uh, people of, of God know the Word of God. And so every week we have a little verse that we memorize. And because I love you, and I know it's been a long, busy summer, we have one verse for the entire series. God bless me, right? Uh, I did that for you. Uh, so our memory verse is actually that new mission that we have. It's Acts 1-8. And this is what Jesus told the disciples that the do he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the mission. That's not just something we say. This is our commission from God. He told us this is the plan. And you want to pair that with the other great commission that we find at the end of Matthew to make disciples, right? This is what we are about. This is what we got to be doing. I don't think if, if we are living a life apart from this, then we are living a life that is off focus. So we need to set this to our hearts. And I invite you, there's a memory verse card inside of your bulletins. Take that out. Put it in your pocket, your wallet. Tape it to the back of your phone. Begin to start thinking about this. Not just what it says, but how does it apply in your life today? And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. This is a very applicable thing. Now, so far, we started in Acts 1, we found that we have a new mission. Jesus gave us this new mission. This is what the church is to be on. Then last week, we found out there's a new power for that mission. We got a new spirit we got the Holy Spirit, which just empowers us. We see that that the Holy Spirit showed up, and we have this thing called Pentecost, which was a celebration, and God did an amazing miracle, and the church began. 3,000 people came to faith, were baptized on, on that day, and the church all of a sudden grew, and then there was a new community. They came from that, right? And so this new church that began, what did they do? Well, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. They repented. They were like, we want to learn this new way of life. They met every day in the temple courts because 3,000 people don't fit inside a little room. So they had to go to church. That's what the big church began. And so they went to church every single day, and they listened to the service with the apostles. They learned a new way of life, and then they continued on with the new relationships with one another, right? They started meeting together in in homes, and they shared meals together, and they started growing as a community. And that's where we pick up now, chapter 3. So we have a new mission with a new spirit, and now we find out today that we get a new message. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to to Acts chapter 3. If you have one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 760. If you forgot your Bible today or you need one, we've got lots of them in the back there on that bookshelf. Please help yourself. If you need a Bible, keep it our gift to you. Now, in Acts chapter 3, this is what happened. It was after Pentecost, remember, and so they were all going to the church every day to the temple, right? They're going to the temple and they listen to the apostles. So the apostles had to go to the, the synagogue too. They had to go to the temple. And so we find two of the apostles going to the temple about the time of prayer, They're going to go up to the temple, and they're walking in, and they pass this guy whom they've they've passed, sure, countless times. It was just this handicapped guy sitting beside this gate. The entrance was called, the gate called Beautiful, but he was just this guy who just sat there every single day. He got brought in, and he would beg for for food or for money. That's what he was going to do. That was his life. And the apostles probably saw him. He was just part of the scenery. He was there so often. And they're walking by him, and something happened that day. that I don't, We don't know why, what it was, but all of a sudden, we have these two apostles. You have, you have Peter and you have John, and they see this guy, and all of a sudden, they give him a different message. They, they heal him, and then they, he gets up, and he's so excited. He's, he's not only healed, but he's, he's able to walk and jump and all those kinds of things. Uh, he, he follows him in, and he's like jumping up and down, and he's celebrating, and all of the other Christians that were there obviously saw this, but there was also people who were there, the Jewish people in the temple, who weren't Christians yet, and they recognized it was a miracle because they saw the guy, and they recognized him. He's like, hey, that was the guy that's always sitting outside uh, the, the gate called Beautiful. He's been there for years, <laughs> and he's healed, and they're thinking, my goodness, here's a miracle. We want to see this, right? Maybe these guys who did this are uh, prophets. Crowd ends up coming around the apostles, and they use that. The apostle Peter uses that as an opportunity to give an amazing message, a whole different kind of message than than I think that we our world has really ever heard. And that's what we're going to be studying today. So the first thing we're going to talk about this new message. How does it begin? Well, if you start with me on on verse 1, we're going to read there. It says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried up to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. not amazing? There's a different message that, I, that we've been given in that this world doesn't have. I think this world does have a message that we hear all the time. It's a message that's this. The message the world gives us is survive, isn't it? Survive. I mean, it, it, you hear this all the time, like, uh, look out for number one, right? Because nobody's going to look out for you. If you want to be fine, look out for yourself, right? And, and live as good as you can as long as you can. Isn't that the message? Like, really, it's up to you, and you've got to do it, and, and, and just try to eke out a living. Just survive. And then... If that was enough, the world also has another message it likes to tell us. It tells us this, that, that you're a victim to your circumstances, right? That, that your life is basically limited by the darkness around you or however good it is. So if you were born in a lot of, with a lot of privilege, you're going to have a lot more opportunities. You're probably going to be able to do more. But if you weren't, if life is hard, if you had rough stuff, then I'm sorry, if you're like this lame guy, what are you going to get? You're going you're to be a beggar for the rest of your life because of circumstances. Something he didn't ask for, it just happened to him. That's the same message that they were getting then. It's the same message we get today. Survive. What do we find this man doing at the beginning of this chapter? He's surviving. That's it. This is not living. Sitting outside a temple begging people for that day's bread is not living. It is just making it. Hoping that somebody's going to have enough pity on you that you can then live for that next day. But I'll tell you, a lot of people in our culture live that same way, don't we? We survive, we work, we do everything we can to make sure that our minds and our everything is occupied wondering, am I going to have enough? I mean, how many people in this community right now live in Estes Park, right? What's on their mind almost all the time, am I going to make it? Right? Am I going to have enough to pay my mortgage this month or my rent? Am I going to have enough to eat this month? Do I have enough in savings so that way someday hopefully I'll be able to retire? Or those who are retired who have that, that, that limited thing, they're hoping that the stock market doesn't crash. They don't lose everything. Occupies our hearts and our thoughts all the time. Jesus even told us about this. This is the way that it is for most people. We're so preoccupied on survival we forget to live. It becomes our number one thing. And this man had heard this message that it's all about survival. It's all about you. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to beg. And hopefully you'll make it. And if you don't, well, well, you didn't. So survive as long as you can, as good as you can. And you're stuck by your circumstances. That's who you are. That's what he lived in. And the apostles started, and they gave this man a whole different message. See, I think it's, it's cool that he says that they, they saw this guy, as they were walking through this temple court. It's been for a long time. And it says that they, he, he asked them for money. So obviously he knew that, that Peter and John were there. He saw that, I mean, But he, wasn't even have the, he didn't even have the, the self-worth enough to even look at them when he was asking for money. Do you mind that level of shame? Because look what it says. It says when he talked to him, the first thing that Peter and John do is they look straight at him. Do you know how humanizing it is for somebody to at least acknowledge you? When I, we did um, homeless ministry, one of the first things that I discovered was uh, more than money or anything else we could give somebody, we could give them dignity by at least acknowledging they exist, right? I think a lot of times we, we just try to avoid eye contact, right? Just pretend I don't see. But James and John didn't have to do that. They were no longer afraid, and they looked straight at him, and then they had to invite the guy. They said, look at us. They called the man up. They say, you know you have dignity. You, you can look at us. You're worthy. You can look us in the eye. You have dignity, man. That begins a whole new message you know, in a person's heart. He was more than just the object of pity. He's a human being, and he has been seen. And then they go on, and they tell him, we're not going to help you just survive. Yeah, look at what it says. That, uh, John says, uh, Silver and gold, we do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. But would that help? He would be back the next day, like he has been for over and over and over again, year after year. But they say, but I do have something better. What I do have, I'm going to give to you. And they bring the man healing. The first message of the gospel, this new message that we have, is not about survival. It is that you, it's not, hey, survive. Some people mistake the gospel about you get eternal life, that someday you get just to live forever. That's survive forever. Who wants that? The first part of the gospel that I think they showed was this. This is the first message is here's life. You see what they did? They they saw the man. And then through Christ, they were able to offer him life again. They gave him dignity. They gave him healing. That was an amazing thing. But they also gave him value. They saw him. They didn't just walk by him like he was just part of the scenery ever again. Now he got up. He got a whole new life. And we find also that they gave him purpose. But because of this man's healing, all of a sudden something amazing was going to happen. And thousands of people's lives were about to be changed. To understand the gospel is good news because it starts with this. We can stop merely surviving. And I'll tell you the thing about survival. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. None of us is going to actually succeed. Right? People have been living for thousands of years. There's only one who's still alive. We have a time. There's something more than just survival. We're invited to live right? And so it begins there. Now, as we continue on in the message, the, the, the message, there's another part to it. It's not just that, hey, here's life, right? But there's this other part that, that keeps us locked into survival. And that thing that just keeps us into survival is how we live our life. Most of us live our life in this world. We're taught, look out for number one, take care of you as long as you're okay first, then we'll worry about anybody else. But when does it ever come to the point that it's truly enough? I mean, we're, we're just walking black holes, aren't we? I and mean, we just suck life and finances and relationships and all kinds of things from everybody else, and we'll never be full. You know, there's never going to come a time you say, well, I've had enough love. Thank you. Right? There's never going to come a time where you say, well, I've, I've got enough health. Thank you very much. I don't need any more health. Right? That doesn't happen. There's never a time that we find people are. Like, it's so rare. Somebody says, "I haven't now have enough money." Rarely will we find that. We find no matter what we have, we we contend, we consume. And the thing is that the things we can, the idea of living and just watching out for me alienates me from other people. Because if I'm only worried about my feelings first and my needs and my heart, what is it happens? Well, it's selfish, and selfish relationships are devoid of love. We end up having fights in relationships. We end up getting lonely or things like this. Or the things that we felt that feed me, they eventually dry up and they go away. And then I've got to feed myself with something else, which oftentimes causes me to be separated from others. The problem that we have is that it's been about us too long. But there is a new message that God has given us. You see, we saw a miracle Right? That the apostles, they did this amazing miracle. And the people saw that. Right? And, and, and as they saw this miracle, it says in there that all of a sudden this guy's jumping up and down. He's going in the temple course, and all of a sudden this huge crowd comes around. Now, if the apostles were, were living according to, it's about me, look out for number one, this would be a perfect opportunity for them to say, hey, yeah, we are pretty awesome guys. Right? We followed Jesus. I bet you followed him too now. Right? Look at how great we have these abilities in this Holy Spirit. I bet you wish you had that, but no, you mocked us. But now we're pretty awesome. So why don't you make us a really cool place to sit down and give us all of your money? Because we're going to be, we can heal people now. We've got power, right? If it was about them, they had some opportunity. But look at how they respond so different than the way that the world responds. Let's go here to verse 11. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them. The place was called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if it's by our own power or goodness that we made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. This was a perfect opportunity for them to say, yes look what we did, right? Get some vindication. I mean, they were living as fugitives in the middle of this city. Now they were able to maybe walk as celebrities. This was their time. And if they were looking up for number one, they would have said, look at me, but they didn't because it wasn't about them. They said, why do you look at us astonished? Like somehow we're so godly or so good or so powerful that we did this. That's ridiculous. And so the reason this happened is because of Jesus. And they put the glory on Him and not themselves. See, this is a great thing. The second message that we find in this is that it's about Jesus, not us. That's what life is. When we make life about me, it becomes too small. We consume ourselves, but when we recognize that there's a different way of living, there is a true life we're entered. Jesus actually says this, doesn't He? He said that those who cling to their life in this world will lose it. But those who lose their life for his sake will find it, will find true life, is actually what he says. Isn't that amazing? It's not just an invitation, to say, that some would be martyred and they would lose his life for him, they would have eternal life. Yes, that's true, but it's even more than that. What Jesus is talking to us is he's saying, listen, we have to free, be freed from the lie of selfishness. This lie that it's all about you, look out for number one, glorify yourself. And the apostles got that message. So when they saw this man and they didn't have money to help him, it didn't mean that they couldn't help him. It meant that God could help him. And God did. And when the glory came, it wasn't about them, what can I get from me? They saw the bigger purpose. And they pointed many to it. You see, when life stops being just about me, then I'm free to live in a different way. There's a different level of love that I'm able to live on. There's a different kind of living that I'm able to do. It actually frees me from survival. It's about Jesus, not us. Well, the message continues, though, because here's the thing, is that uh, now Peter has this opportunity to talk to the crowd. Was he going to say to them? It's about Jesus. Well, they knew Jesus. Jesus was the guy that that they, a lot of them, just a month earlier, were outside of the city and they were putting palm branches on the ground saying, hey, it's the Messiah. He showed up. Hallelujah, right? This is great. And then a few days later, they were standing in front of, of the court and they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They knew Jesus. I mean, these were the religious people, right? They were inside of the temple. They cared about this. Everybody knew about Jesus. They were the ones that also heard about the resurrection. Some of them very likely would have seen Jesus raised. These were people that understood Jesus. And and so when the apostles said, hey, this is about Jesus, it means something. It means that those who weren't followers of Jesus had messed up. And they described that. He talks about it. He talks about their failure. And see, the world has a message for failure, doesn't it? The world says when you fail, you are a failure. The world says when, you, when things don't go well, that shame on you. You should, be, you should be embarrassed of what you've done. Hide your face because you have lost worth because you're not good enough. That's what the world says. I think one of the, it's fascinating, and I love reading about social media and all this kind of stuff. You know, how many teens right now, young people, Commit suicide because the worst thing that could possibly happen is be shamed on social media. They're ashamed. There's some failure that they have, or somebody makes fun of something that does apparently somebody else doesn't think measures up, and all of a sudden, true or not, they're shamed. Right? They, they have this failure that's glowing from everybody, and there's no redemption for them. It's just shame to the point of, of despair. The world's how the world handles failure is very bad. And so when the apostles began talking about failure, I imagine the Jewish people who were hearing this, who crucified Jesus, would feel shame, feel like, wait a second, we do remember this, and we do know He rose from the dead, and He was the Messiah? What do you do? I mean, that's the worst failure. When you kill God, you've messed up, right? Right? When you've murdered your Messiah, you pretty much messed up. I imagine that the world's message for these guys would be, well, you might as well just give up your Judaism because how's God going to save you now? You murdered the Messiah. Stop wasting your time in the temple, right? Because you're done. Shame on you. But that's not the message that we see. That's not the message of the gospel. If you read with me chapter, verse 17 here, verse 17. Look how Peter, after he talks to him about failure, look at how he responds to it. And the biggest failure of all, killing God. This is how he says. He says, now fellow Israelites, he even identifies himself with them. Now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. That's not shame. Here's a different message. Like, there was some grace in there. Did you hear that? Yeah, God warned you. You had thousands of years. You had over 300 prophecies that pointed to Jesus. Yeah, you had that. You had the miracles. You had all that kind of stuff, and you ignored it, and you killed him. But he didn't just focus on that. He said, you know what? It can be forgiven. That God loves you. In fact, you didn't mess up so bad, You, you derailed God's plans. Did you see that? He said, God already knew this beforehand. He wasn't even surprised. In fact, he prophesied that this would happen. That God can even use our brokenness and our failures. That he can use those. That. And he says, you know what? By this grace, you, there, there's an opportunity then to walk in a different way. Instead of walking with our heads down saying, oh, we're the ones that crucified Jesus. Say, no, no, no. We're the ones that recognize now that he's the Messiah. There was opportunity for faith to come alive. He says, repent. Turn your life. Like now that you know the truth, start living it. That's all you need to do. And what would happen with that? I mean, just that's enough that God would say, I'll take you back is awesome. But what does it say? That you can repent, and then what? It says that your sins will be wiped out. Think about that. How astonishing is this? That next to their name in that big book, when we stand before God, when he opens it up. And he sees their name. These people who murdered the Messiah next to their name, there's not going to be any charges against them. Gone. And if God can wipe out that crime, he can wipe out any crime. It says that you, your sins will be wiped out. It's not as though you will sit in heaven with God on his throne with that heavenly stare at you of disappointment saying, I know what you did. Wiped out. Grace. And if there are no sins, there's no condemnation. There is salvation. But then, if that wasn't enough, look what he says on that. He says, then your sins are wiped out and you people who did fail. Not only is God going to forgive you, but then it says that times of refreshing may come. God's not going to kick you down. He's not going to put a burden around your neck and say, oh, you know what? You messed up, so now you have to work super hard to get back in my good graces. It's not how he works. It's not how he works going to pick you up and restore you. Even to those who murdered him. Even those who denied him. He picks you up and there's a restoration, a refreshing of the soul that begins. This is life. It frees us from what religion has taught us all wrong about doing and doing and doing and doing. And then when we fail, that you have to hopefully, that you can just overcome those sins by just being good enough and maybe god will like you again it's not how it works there's a new message for you you are saved by grace through faith hear it hear it we are not in this place because we're trying to strive to be good enough so that god will like me enough anymore he loves you if you are in christ he came to us and he loves you so much and he's wiped out your sins Do you get that Wipe them out, and he refreshes you from the inside out. Faith. It is a fantastic change. But the problem with this is faith in what? You ever heard this happening in our world today, When people say, well, it's not so much who you believe, in; it's just how you believe. As long as you're sincere in your faith, then you're saved. Right? That um, sometimes it's, it's like this, all roads go to heaven. You heard that? It's so crazy. Because it doesn't work anywhere in life, does it? I mean, do all roads lead to to Sydney, Australia? No, very few roads lead to Sydney, Australia. It's on an island. Right? It just doesn't happen that way. I'll tell you this. Does every single item at McDonald's lead to chicken nuggets? No. Only one. If you say, I want chicken nuggets, then you get chicken nuggets. Right? Does every single medicine lead to a cure? No, because some people take the wrong medicines and then they don't get cured. Right? Do we understand? Does every single plane take you to Jamaica? No. Sometimes they take you to Detroit. <laughs> Why is it then? Then the most important thing that we would try to say that then, well just every single faith, just get on the, the, the plane of faith and it's going to take you back to God. Just get on the road of faith. It's going to take you to God. That is not how it works. And the problem is, is too many people for thousands and thousands of years have been guessing, I wonder where God is. Where is God? Can I find Him? I'm hoping that if I believe well enough, I I hope that if I, I obey God's law enough, I hope that if I... If I do enough good things that outweigh my bad things, I hope that in all of this that I will somehow find God in my life. I hope that maybe if I sit up on a mountain, starve myself, and hum, maybe this will make me closer to God. I hope that if I transcend my personal pain, then I'll be closer to God. I hope. I'll tell you, not all roads lead to God. And the problem with humanity has been sometimes we've done so much with so much devotion that leads us to so much death. So much destruction. But there is a different message. There's a new message for us. It's not just that we have faith. The people that that, that the apostles were talking to here, they were Jews. They were still in the temple. They were still working at at the old covenant, which Jesus had now fulfilled. They just didn't know yet. right? And so they were still putting their trust and hope in sacrifices that were no longer needed. They were still putting their hope and trust in obeying the laws, which now they've been set free. Their sins have been forgiven. They just didn't know yet. And so look what the apostle says. Instead of leaving them in that place saying, you are even obeying God's Old Testament law, you're even doing the right thing. He didn't just leave them there. Look what he says. If we, we, go to, um, we go to verse 23. He says, anyone, he's talking about Jesus. I shall do 22. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. What it says is that there is a way back to God, and it matters very much that we're on the right path, that we get on the right plane, right? It matters very much. In fact, Jesus even talked about this in John chapter 14. He says, says, uh, well, there we go. We're saved by Jesus, Lord and Savior. He says this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. And in context, Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he says, hey, uh, where I'm going, you, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And the, Thomas says, wait a second, because he's talking about going back to God the Father. You're going to heaven. He says, don't worry about it. You know the way. And Thomas says, wait a second. How do We We, don't, we can't know the way. We don't, even know, we don't even know where it's going, right? How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So some people in this world put a bad spin on this, and they're like, how evil is it of Jesus to claim that he is the only way? How narrow-minded of Christians to believe that there is just one way back to God, Right? I'll tell you this I think it's very nice that we actually know the way let's just say I invite you to my house but I don't tell you my address because all roads lead to my house good luck wouldn't you be happy if I gave you my address isn't that a nice thing isn't it happy to say this is the way this this is the way I don't have to guess anymore I know this is the way you could be saved by God's grace through faith, but it's got to be in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus said. But God's not being mean about it. He's saying, this is, I publicize it for everybody to see. Anybody's welcome. Here's where I am. You can come meet me here. It is fantastic. You do not have to guess. God came in the flesh to show up so we would know him, so we wouldn't have to guess what God is like. He died on the cross so we could see that our sins have been paid for. He rose again so we would be absolutely certain that is absolutely God. He has proved himself over and over again. And he says simply this, here's where I am. Come meet me. That's good news. That is so much better than the world says, well, I hope that you find your peace in your religion. No, no, we don't have to have hope. It's not I hope I did this well enough. I know Jesus. I know the way. I am saved by God's grace. My sins are wiped out through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What a great message. What a great message. How freeing is that? Some people think the gospel ends there. Let me tell you some good news. It doesn't end there. Because here's the thing. I might be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but then we have this idea then that the world, though, is so dark that I'm a a victim to my circumstance. How can the church possibly grow in a culture that is hostile to the faith? You ever wonder that, or maybe I grew up in a very broken home? Am I just damaged? Am I, am I forced to be broken now? Now, say like the world has a message about this, about transformation. The world's message about transformations is: this. once you can be saved as a Christian, or whatever, but basically you're, you're still just it's, it's you're only you're gonna only make a difference as much as who you are, right? And so if you're a lame guy, you're just going to lay on the side of the road, and that's the big difference you're going to make, right? If you came from a broken home you came from a beat-up family or whatever, then that's as much as you're ever going to do, right? That you are a a victim to your your circumstance. And in order to address that, the world does this because its compassion is built into every human heart. What we try to do is we say, well, if I am limited by my circumstance... Right? then we need to change the circumstances, and then we'll change, we'll impact people and make their lives better. It's what religion is all about, isn't it? It's what our laws are all about. But it doesn't ever truly work. Right? It, it, has its, it has its place. It's not wrong, but it doesn't have the effect to really work. It doesn't really free us from our circumstance. It just mitigates our circumstance. It's this idea that transformation somehow comes from the outside in, right? That I'm going to be a product of my society. I'm going to be a product of my home life. I'm going to be a product of my history. And all of that then determines what God can do in me and through me. And I think we're, we're all just are, are taught this, spoon-fed it ever since we're, we're born. And that's not just us. It's been that message from, hum- from the beginning. But there is a new message. It doesn't have to be that way. That's not how God works. It's what hems us in. We're not defined by our past me offend everybody, um, because I like to do that, it's fun, Uh, how it works in our society, how you see this, I'm going to take this from the ethereal to the real world, so it's going to sting a little bit, because I'm going to pull off some band-aids, we try to mitigate ourselves and change ourselves from the outside in, like this, Um, our culture, and I'm going to offend everybody, by the way, I'm going to offend both sides, everybody, okay, but we'll start with one side, our culture has way too much gun crime. Children are being shot in schools. It's tragic. Nobody likes that. Nobody is like, hey, we want to have more people shot and killed. So what do we do? Well, some people say, well, let's change the culture. Let's remove guns from culture, and then we're not going to have more children shot. Right? So we'll improve society by limiting, or by changing this, and that will somehow make people not murderers. Now, the problem with that is you could take a gun away, but you can't take away the murder in somebody's heart, the wickedness that is there. You can mitigate the effects of it, but but taking guns away doesn't change people. Now, I've offended half of you. Let me go to the other side. Everybody wants children to be brought up in healthy families. It's tragic in our society today that thousands of children are murdered by their own families before they have a chance to see life. I don't know anybody that's happy about that. I don't know anybody that's happy about that. Nobody likes this. We, we believe that family and children should be a joy and should be brought up in a healthy society with support and community. And so there are some that say, well, let's change this. We're going to change society. We're going to make abortion illegal. And that's going to somehow then make it so families and these, these children are going to be brought up in healthy homes. We can stop them from being murdered so that they have life. We can do that. But it's not going to change the brokenness in society that causes a young woman to be in a crisis to begin with. It doesn't stop the brutality and the violence that oftentimes leads to to where we are. See, laws don't change hearts. Laws are important. We need laws to mitigate wickedness. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with laws. But laws don't change people. Religion does the same thing. When we go to church and we try to read about do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, what do we find? Just like we try to do from society, we put up laws around us to box us in so we don't act like the vile animals that we all know that we truly are, so that we live a different way, not how I would behave, I have to, not because it's who I am. See, law does not change a heart. But it's the best thing that people have is trying to change us from the outside. Let me tell you, there is good news. There is a bigger hope for our society than enacting the right laws. There is something so much better than it is to box us in and to live in little tiny boxes of restraining our wickedness. There's a different and a better way to live. You wouldn't mind. Just join me here. This is so cool. If we go into Scripture, verse 25. It says this, he's talking to the Jewish people, right? Those, he says this, And you are heirs of the prophets, and the covenant of God is made with your fathers. And he said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Right? That, that God's going to do this amazing blessing to the entire world through you. But look at how it happens. It says, When God raised up his servant, he, gave, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. See, the Jewish people thought a Messiah was going to come in and he was going to be like Caesar. He was going to establish his laws. And from the outside, gosh darn it, people were going to honor God now. right? The Gentiles will honor God because the Jewish people will have this Messiah and he'll be the strong king. And no one would question them. They thought that then God's laws would be then enacted throughout the land and would hem in these horrible Gentiles. And the whole world would be blessed because they would stop living these degraded lives because, because God's law would now be established on earth. That's how they thought the world would be blessed. And then God sent a better Messiah. And notice how it happens. He says, you're going to bless the world. Well, that's going to happen. But it starts from the inside. He sent Christ first to you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Do you know what that means? Transformation. That's what that means. It means transformation. It means that you're not who you will eventually be. It means that you're eventually, when we go to heaven, we're not, not going to need law. Do you know why? Because God's going to change us fundamentally from the inside out. There's not going to have to be a law, don't murder people, because we would never murder somebody. We wouldn't even cross our minds. Transformed from the inside out. But that transformation doesn't just happen in the next life, it happens now. That's why. Christ came. It wasn't just to save our souls. It was to save us, the redemption that comes from the inside. And as God transforms you, as He takes that wicked, hard heart and He transforms it to heart of flesh, you become a blessing to this world. As God changes us. We become in a world that needs peace so badly. We be agents of forgiveness in a world that's got to end the hostility. We are become people that, you know, it's not about me. And I can be crazy generous because God's gotten taken care of me. So I can care for you. We can be people that actually see others because it's not just about me. I can actually see you as you are in your need. I can actually love and care. I can live a whole new life. God's transforming me. It's not an act. I don't forgive because God commanded me to. I'm forgiving because God's forgiven me and he's showing me what it's like to forgive. Yeah. Do we understand that Scripture says we love because we've first been loved? Transformation starts here, which means it can be anywhere. It doesn't matter what your history was. You might be in the most horrible situation. You might have the worst boss in the world. You might be the worst family in the world. You might have the worst health in the world. It doesn't matter where you are, how dark it is. The light of God can shine in you. And it can shine bright. God transforms you into a creature of worth and of dignity and of grace and of his power and his redemption. This is the message. God transforms us from the inside. And then we transform the world. How do we apply this? Today, you may be here and you're done surviving. Just done. He had enough. Enough. It's not about getting up and just making enough for the next day. That's not living. Here's life. That's the gospel for you. There is healing and dignity and value and purpose for you in Christ. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this. It starts with this. It's not about you. Isn't that a wonderful place to start? It doesn't have to be about you anymore. most freeing words you can say, it's not about me. Sometimes it just doesn't have to be about me because God loves me enough He's cared for me. We're saved by that grace through faith. I'm invited to live a whole better life, a real life, a true life. But it's not just faith. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's no more guessing. The work has been done. I am just have to trust him, believe in him, follow him. And I'll tell you what, as I am in him, he transforms me. He transforms me deep from the core, from the inside. That is discipleship, learning to follow him in all things and teaching others to do the same. But it's not just obeying his laws, it's how he changes and writes his law in my heart. And as he transforms me, I become a blessing to the world around me. This is the new message. How do you apply it? You know, it's a shame if you go to the Word of God and you see the Word of God and then you don't take steps to follow because disciples of Jesus are people who are following somebody. We're following Jesus. And as far as I know, Jesus is not just standing still. There's always next steps, aren't there? You need to have next steps of faith. So what are yours going to be? If you don't know, I invite you. Take out your connection card on the back side. I've got some ideas for you. We all need to take a step. Remember, these are steps. These are not giant leaps. I just want to invite you. Take a step this week. Take a step of faithfulness. You'll be one step closer to Jesus than you were today, right? what we need to do. Just take a step. What are your steps going to be? Well, maybe your next steps could be, I have some suggestions for you. Maybe this week you commit to this. You commit to memorizing Acts 1.8. If we want to, it's not about you, it's about Christ's kingdom. And that's where real life is found. You want to see what Christ can? we've memorized this. Set it to your heart. Acts 1.8. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not your own power. God's not even saying, do this on your own. He's empowered and equipped you. He's with you. Think about what that means. And you're going to be his witness. You don't have to testify to yourself anymore. God's already glorified you. You're already his daughter or his, or his son in the kingdom. You have position. You have glory. He's taken care of you. Now we can point to something bigger than yourself. You can be his testimony. You could be his witness. You can talk about how God's actually made a difference in your own life. Anywhere, in Jerusalem, in your hometown, in, in all Judea and Samaria, doesn't matter where you are, even to the ends of the earth, God has a testimony through you and you can shine bright wherever. Memorize this passage. Think about it this week. Maybe that's where you begin. Or maybe what you want to do, you say, you know this week, I'm going to read Acts 1 through 3. I'm going to see how God transformed the world. How did he begin? I invite you, read those chapters. Change your life. Maybe what you want to do is you say, you know, I'm going to put this to practice because it isn't about me. And God loves so many people in this community who are so broken and lost. And you know what? They're not just nameless people, they have real names. So maybe you say, I'm going to pray for three of them. And if that's you, we came up with a tool for you. It's in the back of that seat in front of you, it's a yellow card, orange card. And on there's a place to put three names. And it's a bookmark, so you can put it in your Bible. So when you read every day, when you go in there, you can remember, oh, I'm going to pray for this person. Pray that God prepares their heart to receive the gospel, that God meets their needs. And that he, he gives you words if you're the one that's supposed to share with them. Or he brings somebody else who's going to. They provide opportunity and clarity. Pray for them. Pray for God's blessing on them their life. That they would come to know him. And if you have the opportunity to share your faith with them, how does it mean to be a Christian? How do I lead them in faith? What does the Bible say? There's a tool on the back. It's called Roman's Road to Salvation. It's just... This Bible read for themselves so they can know this is not just you making it up. It's a tool. Maybe you begin this. And you say today, I'm going to start praying for three. I'm going to pray for them until they come to faith or until God releases me. Or maybe what you want to do is on there is maybe you're going to write your testimony because you're going to be his witness, right? His witness. I think sometimes we don't share our testimony because most of us don't even know, haven't even really thought about it. What has God done in my life? I invite you this week, sit down, and think about what has Jesus done for you in your life? Maybe your testimony is this. I was raised in a church. I've been a Christian ever since I can begin. That is an amazing testimony. Then, but your testimony doesn't end there. Your testimony is your life with Christ. How is he transforming you? What's the difference that he's made in your life? Write it down. You'll be shocked. I'll tell you, if you're interested, you want to write that testimony, you want to email it into the church, I would love to read them. In fact, if you are interested, I can help you. So that way you can maybe make it more succinct And how we face so That way, if you have the opportunity to share your testimony as you're going to be a witness, what are you going to say? You'll know. It'll be your story. Maybe that's where you start. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you something different right now. Well, listen to the Holy Spirit and write it down. I'm, as a pastor, I want to support you in following God. So let me know what that is so I can be praying for you this week. If you have a prayer request, this is your time too. Write that down. Um, also... If you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, we invite you. Here's life. You, you, you probably have no idea what it means. Just like what a newborn baby doesn't know what life is all about yet, but it knows that it wants to live. If that is you, let us help you. This is what I'd ask you to do if that's you today. On the other side here, it says, I would like some more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. That doesn't make you a Christian. It means that you'd like some more information about what does this mean. I'd like to get your information, if you would write that down, so that I can contact you this week. Please write legibly, because I don't write, read in tongues. But, but we'll get together. We'll hear your story. We'll talk about your doubts, your questions. We'll answer them. We'll go through the Word, and we'll help you. And when you are ready to take steps of faith, we'll help you take those steps of faith together. That's how it works. And if that's you, you want to do that today, I invite you to do that now. And then afterwards, I, we're milling around. Make sure that you come up and say, tell me. So that way I can put a face with your name. So that way we, when we get together, it just helps me to talk. Uh, So, we make sure we have a better conversation. In a minute, we're going to take our offering. If you take our offering, this is also an offering of yourself, a commitment back to God, your prayers to Him. I invite you to take these offerings, along with your tithes and your gifts and your offerings, place them in the basket as they are passed. And then we'll have the worship team come up, and then we'll close us with one final worship song. Before we do that, however, let's pray for our commitments and our offerings. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are kind, you are loving. superlative that we could say enough that would fully represent you, but we can say this, God, we love you back. Thank you for Jesus. Though we have failed, Lord, you gave us life. You invite us to it. You've given us such a better message than this world ever had. God, help us to embrace that. Let us live it. Father, for those of us who know you, who love you, transform us from the inside out. Free us from the striving and said, Father, empower us to do your good works in love in this community in such a way it shines your light brightly that you will reach everyone that we live in this community with, that we share this space with, that they too can know how good you are and the hope that they can have. For those who are here today who don't know you, Father, I pray that you would, would, Prepare their hearts, Lord, that they would see your your kindness and care for them, Father, that you would answer their doubts, Lord, that you love them so much. Father, I pray that you would help us to love them as well, Father, for the commitments we've made today. Would you take these, Lord? Work them in us, not as a law around us that changes, uh, try to, to shape us in from the outside, but, Father, transform us from the inside out as we follow you in faith. Father, we pray, too, that you would take our tithes and our gifts and our offerings and that you would bless them, help them to be used according to your purposes for this church and this community, that your kingdom could be built in us and through us. for your glory, we pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen.